Hello and welcome to the Total Entertainment Podcast with me, Paul Collis. And today we're going to take a look at the band James. I'm at the Motor Point Arena and yet again it is real cold because it's starting to become proper winter and there are no super fans outside because it's bloody cold outside. On my way into the building, I did take a look at the amount of trucks that we have in the yard and outside. It is a six truck show with five tour buses, so a a medium sized show. And when I come through the hall, wow. All I can say is wow, what they've done with the lighting rig is amazing actually. It's not quite finished and what is up and running is um, a load of trusses which are at different heights which I think they're going to bump up soon enough. We've got lots of LED moving heads, a lot of LED battens on the back wall in front of a LED screen. It's going to look pretty impressive. Um, these trusses will be dropped in at different heights to make because they're all angled and they're all arced up. And we've got the third bar getting up to a correct height now, which is just behind the line arrays. It's a long bar that's arced. Every lighting bar has some curvature to it because it's there for aesthetics. It's looking pretty good. And when these bars are at their final heights, it's going to look very interesting indeed. The LED screen that they've got goes along the entire length of the back of the stage. And this screen is a high def, high res screen. And, it's gonna, and it looks pretty sick at the moment. They're currently going off a camera feed, going straight in. And you can see the uh, work getting done on this big screen. It's only so they can test it. And yet it's just there to test. Either side of the stage you've got two uh, smaller screens. They're all LEDs, they're not projected. And yet again, high def uh, 4K screens. Looking pretty good actually. Looking pretty, pretty good. As I'm witnessing these trusses getting uh, winched up, they are winching up in uh, a very quick speed. So I'm wondering if it's on a Kinesis system. The trusses will reach from their heights during the performance, possibly. We'll find out soon enough. Although, so far it's looking pretty sick, and I'm I'm liking this, I really am. Well, there's not much else I can uh, explain at the moment until uh, these bars are up in the air. So, we're going to take a little break now, and when we come back, we're going to go over some background of the band James. We'll be back after this. This podcast contains themes that are unsuitable for younger listeners, and parental guidance is advised. It's, it's been 30 years since it came. Boss, what the fuck was that? Yeah, Northern Gas sucks. Hold on, guys! This is the end of the they had, a, they had popularity throughout the 1990s with four top 10s in the UK singles chart and nine top 10s in the UK albums chart. The band's best known songs include Come Home, Sit Down, She's a Star and Laid, which also became a hit on American College Radio. Following the departure of lead singer Tim Booth in 2001, the band became inactive but returned in January 2007 and has gone on to produce a further seven albums. Live performance has continually remained a central part of the band's output. As of 2010, the band has sold more than 25 million albums worldwide. 
James was formed in 1982 in Whaley Range, Manchester. When Paul Gilbertson persuaded his friend Jim Glean to buy a bass guitar and form a band with him. Their lineup solidified when Gavin Whelan joined on the drums. They played a string of gigs under the names Venereal and the Diseases and Volume Distortion before settling on the name of Model Team International, then shortened to Model Team. They performed mostly improvised material derived from jam sessions, supporting the fault at an early gig in Manchester Polytechnic. Vocalists and other musicians drifted rapidly in and out of their lineup until the band encountered Tim Booth at a student disco. Gilbertson invited him to the band's scout hut in Withington to join the band as a dancer. He was soon promoted to lead singer. After a brief period under the name Trial Outback, the band renamed themselves James in August 1982. A gig at the Hacendia caught the attention of Tony Wilson of Factory Records. He offered James an album deal with Factory, but the band, now a settled live act, were worried about tarnishing their material in the studio and settled instead for a three-track EP. The debut release, the Jimarone EP, was recorded at Strawberry Studios Stockport in August 1983 and released on Factory Records in September. It led to the band providing support for the Smiths between February and April 1985 on the Meet is Murder tour. The Smiths covered James's What's the World track during this tour. Although they were now being touted as the next big thing, several complex issues slowed their progress. Gilbertson's drug problems presented the band with no choice but to ask him to leave. Booth and Glean had joined a sect named Lifewave that imposed many restrictions on their lifestyle and threatened the band's stability. The band's second EP, James II, was released over a year after the first and accompanied by a feature on the cover of NME. Gilbertson having been replaced by the band's guitar tutor, Larry Gott, the first two EPs would later be collected as Village Fire. Reviews were once again positive and Factory were eager for James to record an album with it, but the band believed Factory were purely image-based and left the label striking a deal with, with Sire Records. Their third release, the Sit Down EP, no relation to the song of that name, came out in February 1986 and was followed with their debut album Stutter in July of that year. The album reached number 68 in UK albums chart. Lower money and lacking coverage and promotion, the band recorded their second album, Strip Mine, attempting a more conventional song structure in an attempt to please Sire. The album almost went unreleased, but after slight remixes sound more radio friendly, Sire released it in September 1988, over a year after its initial completion. However, the album only reached number 90. After finding a clause for ending their contract, the band left Sire. James had by this point earned themselves a reputation as a live act and had built a solid fanbase. Sales of James's t-shirts were particularly successful in Manchester, even before they reached the top 40. James financed the production of a live album, One Man Clapping, with a bank loan and the help of Rough Trade Records. The album went to number one in the, in the indie charts, reinvigorating media interest in the band. So the current members are Jim Glean, who's on bass guitar and backing vocals, Tim Booth on lead vocals, Adrian Oxall, lead guitar and cello, David Bannington, power, drums and percussion, Saul Davis, rhythm guitar and acoustic guitar, and on the violin. Mark Hunter, keyboards and piano, and also as a programmer. Andy Diagram on the trumpet, bit of percussion and backing vocals. And then you've got former members. Paul Gilbertson on the lead guitar, Gavin Whelan on drums, Michael Coolis on rhythm guitar, 
Larry got on the lead guitar and acoustic guitar, keyboard, flute and backing vocals. And then you've got touring and session members, which are Ron Yielden on drums, percussion, backing, Deborah Knox Houston on the drums, and Chloe Alper on drums, percussion. And if you already didn't know, their, uh, their album uh, titles are Stutter from 1986, Strip Mine in 1988, Goldmother in 1990, Seven in 1992, Goldmother in 1990, Seven in 1992, Lady in 1994, Whiplash in 1997, Millionaires in 1999, Pleased to Meet You in 2001, Haymar in 2008, The Night Before in 2010, The Morning After in 2010, Le Petite Mort in 2014, Girl at the End of the World in 2016, Living in Extraordinary Times in 2018, and All the Colours of You in 2021. We'll be back after this. If you're a band member or an artist, dancer, singer, actor, street performer, and you're listening to this, and you'd like to talk to us on our show about your uh, latest gig, or your album release on uh, digital media, or even uh, want to talk to us about a student show. How about dropping us an email on musterxmedia1983 at gmail.com and we'll get you on our show. And we're back. So currently, all the trusses are now in the air and they're not at different heights, which I was expecting. They're all deaded off or at the same height. So you have every truss that's slightly angled and it gives off a nice uh, effect when you've got the lights pointing out in the direction that they are on the angles. Even though the lights could, even though the lights can move in any direction because they're moving heads, it means that they've got a different angle that they can possibly do on top of what they uh, are programmed to be able to do, which gives it more of an effect. Currently being winched up right now is like a Stargate, but it's more of an entrance which is a weird shape in the middle, and I'm guessing that the band James will come out through this. It's looking okay, it's like, it just seems like a giant queue, maybe. Don't know why, but that's what I can describe it as. And now these lighting bars are up, you can actually see all the lighting bars at the back. You can now see all the lighting bars at the back, just in front of the screen. And these LED uh, strips they're looking pretty good actually the way how they program this test sequence just looks really amazing and uh, on top of those LED strips you've also got one two three. you've also got four rows of uh, moving headlights that could be any color because they're LED right at the back either side and and they're five wide either side as well so it's looking pretty good and I'm sure that they're gonna have some proper sick lighting sequences within this with uh, if you're looking from a design point of view uh, from the positions of these lights you're going to get some nice walls of light lots of light curtain effects even though you're, even though they're not light curtains it's just the type of lights that they're using it's going to give off some pretty interesting pools of light especially as it's being backlit especially as it's predominantly being backlit sound wise you've got two sets of line arrays uh, either side of the stage you've got the standard stage left and stage right sound stack but these line arrays unlike the other the other day where you only had the single strip you've actually got you've got you've actually got two wide in this set of arrays and then on the smaller arrays 
slightly uh, slightly further across they're pointed 45 degrees outwards for for the surround sound effect they've got eight bass bins at the front of the stage which are as high as the stage so it's going to sound pretty meaty that i guarantee you and the mojo is just about to be fitted in place uh, to form the pit which is good it's looking really good actually the mixer is partially the mix is partially mojo the rest of it is uh, all ped barrier which is the bike rack style barriers and it's looking like it's near enough complete on the construction side of things so I'm looking forward to this being fully yet functional and it won't be that long We'll be back after this. Warning, this podcast contains strong, offensive and misogynistic language that some listeners may find offensive. The name's Vert, Percival Reginald Vert, and I run the P-Vert Detective Agency. The year is 2055 and the police have been defunded, so if you need a police investigation, the cops will charge you a thousand big ones a day. Because of this, the government introduced the PI Act, where the private investigators can undercut the police so justice can become affordable. These are my case files. And we're back. So, supporting James are the Happy Mondays, and the Happy Mondays are an English rock band formed in Salford in 1980. The band's original lineup was Sean Ryder on vocals, his brother Paul Ryder on the bass, Gary Whelan on drums, Paul Davis on keyboard, and Mark Day on the guitar. Mark Bez Barry later joined the band on stage as a dancer percussionist, but Rowetta joined the band as a vocalist in 1990. The group's work bridged the Manchester independent rock music of the 1980s and the emerging UK rave scene, drawing influence from funk, house and psychedelia to pioneer the Manchester sound. They experienced their commercial peak with the release of Bummed in 1988, Madchester Rave On in 1989 and Pills and Thrills and Bellyaches in 1990, the last going platinum in the UK. They disbanded in 1993 and have reformed several times in subsequent decades. The first incarnation, the band was signed to Factory Records after, after passing a demo tape to Phil Sachs, a trader at Manchester Arndale, who was on friendly terms with Mike Pickering, a DJ at the Hysenda nightclub. Sachs became the band's manager. Their first release was the 45 EP, often called Delightful EP, after its first track, it was released in fa- on Factory Records in September 1985. Their first album, Squirrel and G-Man, 24-Hour Party People, Plastic Face, Can't Smile, Wh- Whiteout, was released in 1987 and was produced by John Cale. This was followed by two further albums, Bummed in 1988, produced by Martin Hannett, and Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches in 1990, produced by Paul Oakenfield and Steve Osborne. The latter recorded at Capitol Studios in Los Angeles went platinum in the UK, selling more than 350,000 copies. Singles Step On and Kinky Afro from this album both reached number 5 in the UK singles chart. By the late 1980s, the Happy Mondays were an important part of of the Manchester music scene and personified rave culture. Numerous world tours meant the band had international success as well as a massive success in their home country. The lineup of the band during the first and most important 10-year phase never changed, and the six original members, Sean Ryder, Paul Ryder, Gary Whelan, 
Paul Davis, Mark Day and Mark Bez Barry remained a tight unit until the first incarnation came to an, came to an end in 1994. The band headlined on Friday night at Glassbury Festival in 1990. In November of that year, Paul McCartney commented in NME, I saw the Happy Mondays on TV and they reminded me of the Beatles in their Strawberry Fields phase. Musically, the band fused indie pop guitars with, rhythmic with a rhythmic style which owed much to house music, krautrock, funk and northern soul. Much of their music was remixed by popular DJs emphasising the dance influences and even further. In terms of style and dress, they crossed hippie fashion and ideals with 1970s glamour. One of their most popular songs is Lazyitis, One Arm Boxer, featuring a surreal duet between Ryder and Carl Denver in February 1991. Happy Mondays played in rock in Rio 2 at the Marciana Stadium in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and famously went to meet Ronnie Biggs in Brazil, with Piers Morgan, who at the time was a writer for the Sun newspaper. The Mondays also influenced many bands around the Northwest and beyond, including the Stone Roses, Oasis and the Charlatans. A multi-city US tour followed, with the group returning home early in May 1991. In 1991 they played to 30,000 people at Elland Road Leeds, said to be the Happy Mondays' own Spike Island. By July that year they revealed details of a 14-track official bootleg live album, Baby Big Head, recorded at the Ellen Road concert. The official record label release, Live, Yes Please, followed in 1992, produced by Chris France and Teen and Tina Weymouth, recorded at Eddie Grant's studio in Barbados. The album was a commercial failure that bankrupted Factory Records. So now we've heard a bit more about the band, we're going to take one last look at the stage as the last bits are going in, and we'll be back after this. So now everything's being flashed out and it's looking pretty impressive. This weird Q-shaped portal is also lit up by LEDs and I'm sure this is going to look amazing once it, the stage is in blackout. Now they've got all the LED, stri all the LED strips going on a massive, uh, on a massive scroll which, uh, which alongside the LED units strobing behind it and all the other moving heads just uh, flashing it's, it's looking pretty goddamn sick right now and I'm looking forward to seeing this the entire stage complete and uh, and in blackout with these kind of effects. This is going to be great. Visually, I can t I, I could just tell that visually this show is going to be absolutely amazing, and I cannot wait. I really cannot wait. And we're back. So the Happy Mondays they walked out to green pin spots. I mean, lots of green pin spots. Um, what they did with the lights was they zoomed them right in, had them pea green and darkness. So it wasn't a wash of such, it was just nice pools of lights and which reacted really well with the smoke because of the vibrancy of the LED units. And every so often some uh, lights that weren't being used uh, yet again were pin spotted and they yet uh, strobed white. And this happened throughout the uh, first song. The second song, we had the same lighting configuration. In fact, for every single song, it was the same uh, lighting configuration. They didn't put any other shapes in there. They just had all the pin spots and just had it had it two-toned and strobing. So you'd have uh, the main base colour for the uh, so-called wash, the pin spot wash. 
and then you had the uh, other the complementary color which would strobe around it and that's pretty much it for the whole show and uh, obviously some face light from the front of the house bars but that's about it from a sound point of view it you could hear everything very clear you know there was absolute clarity so a great sound engineer and the band they could they haven't lost it with playing the uh, music no although the vocals i have to say the lead singer and uh the uh lady as well their vocals just sound tired maybe because it's a long tour i'm not sure or maybe they've just vocally lost it it just seemed uh it just seemed that i don't know a real croaky like a real croaky and uh, not energetic versions of each song but what can you do i mean they are pretty old if you think about it they've been on the on the road since 1984 so that's a long and that's a long time a very long time to be performing all the time it's like the lead singer he was wearing a baseball cap and he just hid his eyes away you know looking down a lot of the time and he just sounded like he was singing on a bar stool in an old man's pub that's how it felt to me although to be fair and i'm being very fair uh, musically they were absolutely fine i mean absolutely fine there's the uh, musician uh, the music itself was absolutely flawless but what i didn't get is the guy who dances around with the maracas it's a bit old to be doing dad dancing and it did look like dad dancing to me yeah <laughs> no instrument really i mean yeah you got the maracas but you can't hear the maracas because they're not microphoned up they're not mic'd up and um even if you was doing it loud you wouldn't even be able to hear it on the front row just in front of the pit so it's pretty pointless, I have to say. And he's just dancing around. And that's it. It's like, okay, um, it doesn't... Okay, maybe it worked back in the day, but I think you're a bit old to be doing that, maybe. Am I being ageist? Am I being out of order? Is this a bad review? No, it's a mixed review. You know... I applaud them on the fact that they put in a lot of effort, but unfortunately, vocally, they did sound tired. And I'm not going to beat around the bush about it. You know, it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair to anyone if I just beat around the bush and uh, and bent the truth, because at the end of the day, it is what it is. And you know, I don't want to be trashing people, and and I don't want to trash the. Uh, and I don't want the uh, Happy Mondays to feel like I've trashed them because I'm not. As I said, it could be a long tour. They could have had an off day. I'd like to believe it's an off. And I'd like to believe that they're just being a bit on the horse side. But that's about it. I'm not saying that they are sounding tired as a band. No, definitely not. Far from it. And vocally, vocally, they did sound tired as in uh, they were... They needed a break, maybe two days off, maybe a, maybe a week off and then they sound absolutely fine again. But that's how it was, and it is what it is. And we're back for the final segment. Now, um, I've had to record this last bit at home because uh, we got a bit busy at work on uh, the get out and ready for the next show to come in. So you can hear my dog Agamemnon snoring. Mm. 
Agamemnon is a pug. An ironic name, really. Anyways, so let's continue with this, shall we? So James. They didn't have an intro to bring them on. They just... The lights went down. The lights come back up. And then they walked on. They walked on casually. You know, they did it, they did it pretty old school. I mean, intros are pretty much a modern thing. Last uh, 10, 15 years, you, had a mat, you just had a big intro to start the show. But no, no, not with James. They just kept it fully old school. So after saying good evening and introduced themselves as the band James, Tim Booth went on to say, this song, this song is what we're all thinking about for the last 18 months. And the first line was, we're all gonna die. Brilliant. Nice and brilliant. From start to finish, the lighting was visually stunning. For everything from the LED screen at the back, which was surrounded by that little portal. Actually, no one came through that portal in the end. It was just there as a uh, visual. So the uh, screen was focused to this weird Q shape. And it looked good. I mean, it was a high-def uh, LED screen, and it looked amazing. And every image that they put through was really, really good. Really vibrant in colour and whatnot. And the light, and it was programmed perfectly in sync with the lighting. I mean, every every flash on the screen was uh, was with a flash in the lighting desk, so it was very, very uh, well programmed. Now, those arc, the arch trusses with the uh, light with the uh, moving lights on there. Once it was reacted with a room full of smoke. Oh my god, it looked amazing. They did spend a lot of time and effort designing that, and it looked visually stunning. It just adds another dimension to it because. Fair play, the lights can move in any direction they want. They can pan and tilt, they can pitch left and pitch right. But when, they're, when the configuration changes because of the position on a uh, arced lighting bar, it just looks really great, really slick. And um, it was like, a, imagine a uh, cage, but made out of light, beams of light. That's how it looked like in, in certain points. It was brilliant, it really was. Halfway through the show, a kabuki was dropped in, and it was not. It was a white. It was a white gulls kabuki, so it was very translucent. And when you had light shine on it, it just silhouetted everything. It was also an Austrian style kabuki, so just like an Austrian style curtain, you had all the uh, folds and ruffles on there. That just that that folds downwards. And it has a lovely hang on it. I do love an Austrian style curtain. But this Kabuki, it was pure white. Had the Austrian feel to it. And uh, when it reacted with the lights that were backlighting it, it looked amazing. Yet yeah, again, more stunning visuals. It had pinks and purples go through it. And, and it blended it really well like like a pastel. Yet you wouldn't be able to do that without a without something like that. There's no filter on this planet that could do it other than a uh, white gauze kabuki. And yeah, it looked really beautiful. It looked vibrant and beautiful. So the kabuki dropped when uh, the light strobed red and orange. And the kabuki dropped on the lyrics Heart of Gold. Bam. Kabuki down. He had uh, four members of crew standing by in the pit so they could quickly pull it off the uh, subs. Then run it down to stage left in the pit just to clear it out. 
because you know last thing you want is for a the, the security crew to be uh, covered in kabuki b the uh, camera crew camera and av crew to be covered in kabuki anyone that has to get pulled out over the mojo into the pit for their safety you know you, you just didn't want that kabuki blocking or getting that uh, covered in beer you know because it was a rowdy night last night during the show you had beer flying everywhere and last thing you want is a is a yeah, pure white kabuki getting covered in beer stains yeah you'll get black and sticky yeah you don't want patches of that on the kabuki not at all there was a design aspect with the av actually at certain points it went from color to black and white and it stayed black and white to make a uh, to make it look even more punchier and black and white is so underused especially in the days of high def because back in the day a long time ago when black and white tvs were common they'd used to use real bright weird colored lights to light the uh, to light the uh, set say purples and pinks and oranges and mauves the lot yeah just to uh, make things stand out a lot more because you you wouldn't be able to see the colours in black and white, but it gave you a, a more high-def look on the camera. Obviously, the AV and lighting designer, they knew this because they would. And they're like, you know what, we're going to... When it when the uh, colours are certain colours, we on the stage, we're going to put the screens black and white because it's going to make it stand out even more. And boy, it did. So in the age of HD, you know, Ultra HD, in fact, on top of that, with the uh, colours, it just stood out even more. The side screens uh, with the AV, it it was yet again visually stunning, even though it was black and white or morphed back into colour, where you'd lose that uber high def. It would still look good though, really did. So musically, the band have not lost any of their raw talent, uh, along with their sound tech uh, being absolutely clear, you know, absolutely clear. Like when, like the Happy Mondays being supported, there was absolute clarity. You could hear every single part of that song, whether it was an individual instrument to the vocals. There was nothing hissy or there's nothing blending them all together. You'd hear every single part of that song the way how it's supposed to be heard. You don't get that that much these days in modern gigs. You know, that is a lot of serious training and natural ability to make it sound like that it really did and it was brilliant absolutely brilliant and tim booth hasn't lost any stage presence whatsoever i mean he was there dancing as well as singing uh you know he was dancing through instrumental se uh, sections of each song and it looked really good as well he knew what he was doing and uh, the audience loved it as soon every time he dig every time he danced the audience erupted in cheers and clapping and dancing themselves. It was brilliant. It was an interesting show to see, to say the least. How did the audience take the show? They loved it. It went down a treat. Throughout James's whole set, they were dancing, they were jumping up and down. They had their hands in the air, clapping to the beat of the music, singing along, all happy and fine and dandy. And you couldn't ask for a better reaction from a crowd. You really couldn't. They did really well, James did. I mean, yes, they are getting older now, but 
they didn't sound tired in any respect. They played their songs flawlessly and the audience just fed off their energy. I mean, there was pure raw energy there that the audience were picking up on. And as they were absorbing that energy, they were firing the energy back to James and it was a nice mutual beneficial uh, dosing of energy. It, it was brilliant. It was great. It was a great show to see, especially if you're a fan. If you're a fan, you definitely would have loved that show. You really would. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast from uh, the James Tour. With a bit of luck, we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, why not check out more content from Master X Media? We have a story podcast called 30 Years Since, which is 30 years after an alien invasion where we had our asses handed to us. It's not recommended for younger listeners as it has lots of naughty language and violent themes. We have... A story podcast called Gumshoe, which yet again is not for the younger listeners for the same reasons and the vulgarity from the lead character who is also a misogynist. So I'll warn you now, if you don't like misogyny and can't find the funny side of it, where obviously it's not funny in real life, but because it's being said like the way the way it is, it becomes funny. Come on, come and watch it find out mate and judge it for yourself and then we have a tribute to men that hate their jobs which i've received an email this morning saying that it is third in uh, in the comedy section on uh, apple Podcasts in south africa so i don't know how true that is and i'm going to investigate it very soon but until that point bye for now mm-hmm.